and we are live with living the guide life super super exciting today um episode 50 is out thank you for everybody following along these uh past 50 episodes it's been a lot of fun been able to talk to a lot of great people in the industry and uh really been honored to uh have listeners like you guys so i just wanted to go over um Gonna be doing our last weekend of turkey hunting up here in Minnesota. Gonna go try to try to shoot one, hopefully for Bischoff and uh, another buddy of mine, as well as do some fly fishing down in southeast Minnesota. Starting to warm things up here. Um, water staying cold. The weather's getting warm. Trout are gonna be biting on dry flies, and uh, it's my favorite way to fish. So super excited about that. Haven't done that since last year. And uh, we're ready to get after it in those small creeks and uh, try to catch some browns and rainbows. And hopefully can find a couple brook trout as well. They are a native fish in Minnesota, but with uh, brown trout, they usually get all their resources taken over. So when you find brook trout, they are usually very small and usually don't catch a ton of them because of the brown trout and uh, eating all of their food and taking over their habitat and whatnot so usually it's harder for them to survive but hopefully we can catch a few there's a few sneaking around there so we're gonna give her hell but it will be a fun weekend i really can't complain i'm super excited about it and uh we're gonna get after it but on that aspect we are brought to you by bourbon media um i'm gonna give them a few seconds here you wanna go over it if you're a small business owner in the outdoor industry, we get it. The words digital marketing can be intimidating. You're a grunt work, sweat it out, bust your chops kind of person who's addicted to progress and put all of your time and energy into operating your business. We at Bourbon Media can help you push it even further. We're digital marketing experts. I'm talking web development, content creation, social media management, SEO, paid advertising, the whole nine yards. And as fellow outdoorsmen, we know the industry. Keep your business up to date and expand your reach with digital marketing that is directed at your core market. We are Bourbon Media. Cheers to progression. And that wraps things up for them. Super exciting. Um, super great, great guys. And, uh, the website is coming. So keep a lookout. We're just fine tuning a couple things. Um, it's going to be really sweet. It's going to be really cool for you guys to go around there, find different topics out and, uh, see what all these outfitters are really about. Um, and just kind of different things on their films and be able to watch certain things and, you know, help out. So. It'll be really cool for you guys. Um, I'm super excited about it, and it's going to be awesome. But we also have our first episode, which is brought to you by Pacific Calls. Um, been talking to Trevor Austin lately and uh, kind of figuring out on how we can be a partner on this together. And we figured out a way, and uh, they are brought to you. Um, we are brought to you by Pacific Calls now. So we are partners over with them in Washington. Super great guys. Their calls are awesome. Um, I just got hooked up with a few of them that they sent over and super excited to go test them out and uh, see how I like them because I know I've 
I've ran a few before and I love them to death. So I'm super, super pumped about it. And it'll be a super fun thing for you guys. We're going to be doing in the future, a few giveaways and stuff like that. Um, with different calls. Um, so that'll be super exciting to, you know, give some back to the viewers that have helped me along the way. And yeah, that'll be, uh, that'll be a real treat. So, but today we have Charlie Somerville, Captain Charlie Somerville, um, over at Aleutian Island Waterfowlers on today for the 50th episode. And we dig into everything that he's done, really. Um, super awesome conversation. We dig into so much that I really can't even describe on this. Um, but, you know, just pioneering his way into the King Eiders and going up to Alaska with like $300 in his pocket and hopping on a fishing charter and, you know, working there and working his way up and figuring out how he can build a business up there and build multiple businesses up there. So it's super awesome if you're an outfitter and you're looking to hear really what makes a successful outfitter. This is uh this is the episode for you because we really dig into the experience side of things. And if you're going to pay, you know, go somewhere, you might as well pay a professional to do it and do it the right way. Um, that way you're not just wasting your money and only getting a handful of birds, let's say, trying to freelance when you could really go out there and get after them with people that know what they're doing. So it's just a really cool conversation. Uh, it's awesome. So I hope you guys really enjoy it. And we are live with Living the Guide Life today. And we have Captain Charlie Somerville on with Aleutian Island Waterfowlers up in Cold Bay, Alaska. And he also is a owner of Team Extreme. They do a bunch of different like bear photography and tours and uh, fishing charters and stuff like that. So, Charlie, how are we doing? Good. How are you doing this morning? Doing well. Been uh, off work, so can't complain about that. There you go. Well, we've got a, a typical cold bay morning. It's about 44 degrees up here and got a little fog, but it's calm. So we're probably going to go out and put the boats in this afternoon after uh, we get done with this and go out and do a little shakedown cruise because we haven't really put, I only put the boats in once this year. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. What do you guys, so are you guys getting into that time of year where you're doing the bear photography you were saying? Yeah, we just finished up. We uh, we run the lodge here in Cold Bay, you know, pretty much year round as a full service adventure lodge. So we just were finishing up. Uh, we had some uh, resident bear hunters out here that okay. were uh, shooting brown bears and staying at the lodge. And then, you know, we kind of outfit them. They just stay here and, um, you know, base their hunt out of here. So we just finished up with our spring bear hunt, went 100%. Everybody got some nice brown bears. Nice. Now we've got uh, a few weeks off until uh, June where I'll be heading down to the uh, squad fest down in uh, St. Louis to meet up with a bunch of the dive bomb guys and a bunch of the other outfitters. And then uh, we start, you know, the end of June is when our, uh, our fishermen start coming. Yeah. And we run that, you know, all of June, July, August, and then September 1st, our waterfall season starts up. So we're, uh, we're pretty excited. We've got a big year coming up and uh, you know, even with this COVID stuff going on, we've still had a, a, a you know, pretty bit busy last couple of years, but we're really excited about this year. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, you said Squad Fest. I'll be down there too. I that'll be a super fun event. I'm super excited for that. Yeah, no, I'm 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 looking forward to it. Me and I got a bunch of guys that we're meeting up and we're doing that big uh, 
hey. that big Alaska sweepstakes because this is our 35th uh, anniversary, our year, and uh, we we you know partnered up with Split Read, and yep. we're doing a big uh, Alaska sweepstakes that we're doing the grand prize down at Squad Fest on uh, June 12th. So we're pretty excited. Yeah, 35 years. That's awesome. Congratulations on that. Yeah, no, everybody, you know, I'm, uh, I know I'm, I might look young. Yeah. Right. But, uh, you know, when you start, I started at 19 years old up here, so, you know, it's kind of one of those deals that, you know, when you start young, you can uh, finish young, but I still got a few years left in me. Yeah. You know, some of the guys are hoping I'll retire and get out of their face, but that's not going to happen. I'm just too miserable and old gritty, you know, to sit up here and grind it out every day. Oh, absolutely. But the haters keep hating. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know the deal. Anybody that's successful, there's going to be people that don't like you. Oh, oh my God, yeah. I mean, I've seen it like it with traveling around, um, like with outfitters and stuff like that, um, and like them talking and like getting to know them and everything. Like, yeah, everybody has haters. Like, even if you think like, like they're the great, like the best dudes ever to hang out with. Like, they're awesome. Like the hospitality is unreal, and like then you always have people that are going to hate on them because they're doing things that they can't or like whatever. Well, that's that is. it. I mean, you know, that, that's the, that's the worst part about the industry that I really, that I never saw when I was younger. You know, you live in this utopian world, like, Oh, I'm going to become a duck hunting guide or an adventure guide, you know, for your whole life. And, um, you know, and then when you get into it and, you know, when you're nobody, it doesn't matter because nobody knows who you are, but after yeah. you, you know, you work your way up the, the food chain then once you get at the top, the bottom line is you only got one place to go is down. Everybody's trying to cut your throat and knock you down to the bottom of the ladder. And unfortunately, you know, this is my 35th year and we're still here. So yeah. I don't know what to tell people. I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. You know, I'll probably be guiding until I'm an old crippled guy and my daughter's pushing me around in a wheelchair or some shit. I don't know. <laughs> Freezing my ass off out in the Bering Sea or out in Cold Bay in December and January. Oh yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It, it gets pretty cold up there, doesn't it? I mean, we, we get pretty cold in Minnesota, but I bet up there it's, it's a whole different story. Yeah, no, I mean, it, I actually like it when the Minnesota and the Wisconsin and the North Dakota boys come up here and hunt because it's actually colder down there most of the time. The oh. cold isn't what really gets us up here. It's the wind. Ah. We have a, you know, a constant wind and it's a, it's an ocean cold, you know, it's the yeah. wind, it's that wet, cold wind blowing off the ocean every day. I mean, the average wind in Cold Bay is about 15 miles an hour. So, I mean, mm. even like on a good morning, it's 12 to 15. Yeah. And I mean, we just, we hunt in it every day. We go out, we get our asses kicked, we get wet, <laughs> cold, miserable. And um, it's just when it kicks up to like 20 to 30 or 40, then it starts getting, we call it sporty. It's it pretty sporty. <laughs> it's it pretty sporty. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's the wind. That's like when we get bad wind too, like that's what, really makes everything so cold like you could be i mean 10 degrees out and you're wearing a sweatshirt and a vest like hunting but then once that wind hits it's like okay now you got to really layer up that's oh yeah no that's the big thing you know we, we we've had a saying i learned when i was a young guide up here when i was like 19 20 years old one of the master guides that i i did an apprenticeship under he said charlie there's no, there's no bad weather in Alaska. There's just bad clothes. And that's true. You know, it, it, with the new technology, I mean, you know, I started in the eighties and yeah. you know, we didn't have clothing and we didn't have all this high tech, you know, polypropylenes and the, the Under Armour stuff in the eighties. So, I mean, you know, you were still wearing rubber lacrosse waders 
and you know wool jackets and stuff and uh so it, it's been uh, it's quite a change you know now what we have to deal with you know in the good quality gear and uh, you know and that's what i say you know just that's kind of the biggest thing there's no bad weather there's just bad clothing yeah if you're unprepared then you're probably going to suffer miserably oh yeah that's i mean the biggest thing like even i I mean, we notice that all the time too, is like the clothing is the biggest piece because everyone's like, oh my God, it's so cold in Minnesota. And I'm like, it's not really that bad as long as you have the right gear on. Like, and all my gear is mainly camouflage. So like, I've really, before like Mm -hmm. the past couple of years, I just, I've always thought, oh, all my warm gear is like camo. I've never really worn anything else than that. (laughs) Right. But they're, they're making some really good clothes now and just the neutral colors too, the greens yeah. and the khakis and you know, pans. And I mean, I, I've got kind of a diverse group, but you know, you know, it's bad when you have to break out your, uh, when you're wearing your sick of clothes and you look out in the morning, it's blowing about 25 and light snow and rain. And that's when you break out a Grundins or a Healy pants <laughs> and you put over the top of your sick of gear, then, you know, you're having a bad day. <laughs> oh, I can imagine, you know, double wrap. Yeah, so, exactly. And dive bombs got those sweet new hoodies that they came in, came out with. Have you, uh, yeah, no, those? we're, yeah, we actually got, we got some of the stuff that they came out with when they came up last year. And I've got some, uh, more of the new, uh, the lightweight, I've got, you know, new company jack being done up with their jet. Yeah. They got some really nice stuff in it. I mean, it's good quality. It's not just some junk. I mean, it's really good quality. Yeah. When I was down at the factory here in Cody about a month ago in uh, Asher and then my, you know, saw the stuff firsthand and touched and field it. And uh, yeah, we got ours at the embroidery right now, you know, getting our company uh, logos put on it. That's so awesome. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to hear more about your story on how this all started and became like, were you always thinking you wanted to be a waterfall guide and fishing guide like that? You know, it's uh, it's quite a long story, but I'll give you the short version of it. I was raised in upstate New York in a little town called Sandy Creek, New York. Oh, wow. Up in the Adirondack Mountains. So I'm not a born and raised Alaskan, but I I started working as a, at 12 years old. I started working on the boat, uh, a first mate on the charter boats for my uncle. My uncle Frank mm. had a, a 30 foot uh, sport fishing boat on Lake Ontario. And I started working with him at 12 years old, as first mate, built up my time. When I was 16, I was running the boat. I didn't even have a captain's license. I was just a straight, you know, pirate. He was, um, you know, he'd say, hey, Charlie, I got these guys that take out a charter. He's a 16-year-old kid let loose with a $100,000 boat out on the lake to take these guys fishing. And then I, um, you know, just kind of one thing led to another. When I turned 16, I bought my first drift boat, uh, oh, wow. the Salmon River. I was doing steelhead trips, you know, fly fishing and spin fishing. And I didn't grow up doing a lot of hunting. Uh, you know, there is kind of a, a story there, but, uh, my father didn't really believe we didn't have guns at our house. It was mm. just, it was his personal belief. And, yeah. um, but, and it wasn't that he hated, he was against guns. He just, he'd seen too much death and too much bad things happen in mm. his past because of guns. So he just said, you know, when you're an adult, you can do whatever you want to do. But in our house, I just, we don't need guns in our house right now. And, yeah. um, so, and that's fine. So I, you you got to respect that. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, when I, um, I'd go hunting with my buddies, you know, they'd take, we'd go duck hunting or goose hunting. Cause there's a great flyway there, you know, right across the St. Lawrence river and the Lake yeah. Ontario there where all those, you know, those big giant Canada's come bombing down through it in the, in the fall. We had great, you know, puddle duck hunting on the St. Lawrence and Sandy pond. So yeah, we, I started doing that. But once I came to Alaska at, at 19, I, I pretty much knew what I wanted to do. I mean, my, my, my yearbook 
you know, your junior year, you have to fill out your yearbook in high school and it says, what do you want to do? And yeah. I mean, my yearbook, I graduated in 84. It actually says that I want to go to Alaska and start a lodge and become a professional guide. So, I mean, I was one of the few people that, um, you know, at a young age knew, you know, 17 years old, what I wanted to do. Yeah. And, uh, I came up, I went and got my captain's license. The day I turned 18, I drove to Toledo, Ohio. I challenged the Coast Guard test. I went in and, you know, took it. I, mean, I had all the time documented from working on the boats. And, you know, I'm probably one of the few captains that actually had the legitimate time. You know, a lot of guys just kind of pencil whip their hours and somebody signs off, you know, that they got their 360 days experience, which it's a lot of time. I mean, when you look at 360 days boat experience, yeah. um, you know, that's a lot of time. So, but anyway, you know, I went yeah. and got my license and, uh, I sent out five job applications in Alaska to uh, the town, King Salmon area in Bristol Bay, which was kind of the happening place. And I got five job offers. So, oh wow, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things. I got on the phone and uh, I called back a couple of the guys that offered me jobs. And, you know, there's a kind of a funny story there because, you know, I had all these, you know, old time uh, lodge owners, and a lot of them were doctors, and lawyers, and business guys, you know, in the eighties, yeah. big money people. And, only two of them would actually talk to me on the phone. The rest of them were like too busy and this and that. And, and I ended up, you know, working for one of the guys, uh, Doc Kuzak at King's Hammond Lodge, who actually, you know, the guy got on the phone and he took time out of his day. And that, that's one of the things, you know, like I said, I'm an old school guy. You know, if someone can't take five minutes out of their day to talk to you to, you know, whether you're booking a trip with them or you're going to come to work for them. You know what? Uh, I don't need to spend my time with them. And, yeah. you know, that's kind of how I've always been. I'm a pretty straightforward guy. You know, you call me, I'll talk to you. And, um, you know, same with, you know, young guides or clients. I mean, you know, they get me on the phone. I mean, I'm busy, but, you know, I'll, I'll do my best to, you know, fit them in. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So I, I started working at 19 and I uh, worked for two years for a big lodge. And then, you know, we'd go waterfowl hunting in the fall. And, you know, the, the whole, you know, migration of the, the Pacific Black Grant, you know, migrate right down the Alaska Peninsula down to Cole Bay. And, you know, we have all the puddle ducks and, uh, you know, the geese and the sea ducks. So it was just kind of a natural progression after fishing that I said, well, shit, I can't really make a living fishing for four months a year. Yeah. You know, support a family because I already had a family started. And, um, so I started, the, you know, the waterfowl guiding and exploring up and down the peninsula with a plane. And, you know, a couple of years later, I ended up getting my uh, pilot's license up here, became a bush pilot, started flying. Wow. And that's when I started exploring all these areas, you know, because most people don't have the access to remote areas like this. You know, it's expensive. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, for instance, just to get on a plane in Anchorage and fly to Cole Bay, I mean, it's $800 round trip. Yeah. So some young guy, you know, just can't write a check, you know, 800 bucks just to go to Cole Bay and check it out. But, you know, with my fishing business, uh, you know, and, and being a guide up there, you know, with my own airplane, kind of had access, more access than most people. And I was willing to, you know, take risks and, uh, you know, go out on a big adventure, always looking for the next big uh, place to go hunting or fishing. And yeah. that's kind of how I set myself up. Is I just have never been happy and content, no matter how good a quality the fishing or the hunting has been. I always am looking for the, the best yeah. and to be able to offer our guests the best. and and that's where we're at now i mean we you know we we do we've got i pioneered the king eider hunting in the early 2000s out on st paul i was the first white guy um when i say truly the first white guy st paul island's a 100 percent native community yeah out in the middle of bering sea on a little rock island and um, i mean i was the first white guy to go out there and take hunters out there we went out there and test hunted it one year and 
in the next year, we went out and, you know, started working with them. I got in a good relationship with the, the Tanadusic Corporation, uh, the Native Corporation, and, and, you know, straight up, you know, working with them and leasing the rights to hunt on the island. And one thing's led to another. And now this is our uh, 21st year, you know, yeah. for uh, King Eiderheim. And, um, you know, it's kind of a neat thing. There's not too many people that I know of in the waterfall industry that haven't copied somebody or learned from somebody else. And you, you know, you go out and you had to start something completely from scratch that nobody ever did. I mean, nobody, there was no King Eider guides. There's no such thing. I mean, yeah, there's some sea duck guides, you know, on the West coast or the East coast, you know, the guys up in Maine and a few, and, um, you know, Jeff Post from pit, pit boss. He's a yeah. friend of mine. I mean, he's one of the old time guys and, you know, Todd, uh, Jackson from Penobscot Bay Outfitters up in Maine. I mean, these guys are all friends of mine, but I mean, those guys, you know, they, they started doing their thing a long time ago. And I mean, they're kind of the, the pioneers in their industry, but to, to come up and actually pioneer something completely new and off the grid so far and to take so much risk, it was, a, you know, I think it's a big accomplishment. And yeah, like I said, it, it, 21 years later, we're, you know, book solid every year, almost two years out. So I'm pretty happy and content with what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. That's super sweet. I mean, to be the first one out there to pioneer all that, like that's that's definitely a big accomplishment, no doubt about it. Yeah, because I mean, I've never, I, I mean, realistically, I'd never hunted sea ducks or eiders. I'd never hunted the East Coast. Yeah. So every day was like a new thing. It's like, well, I don't really know how to do this, but I'm going to figure it out. And what I figured out was you're going to spend a lot of money and a lot of trial and errors and have a few shitty days until you get it figured out. And, you know, then one thing led to another, um, you know, just getting the decoys. I mean, that was the biggest challenge, you know, anywhere down in the States. I mean, you know, you want to go goose hunting, you just go buy some goose decoys. You can go to, you know, almost any store, yeah. get stuff or order them online. Well, in the, you know, nineties and early two thousands, there was no such thing as a King Eider decoy. I mean, yeah. it just didn't exist. There were, you know, E. Allen made custom ones for decorative purposes, but you know, they were $1,800 a dozen at the time in the 80s. Yeah. So, you know, and I bought a couple dozen of them. So, I mean, it's like, you know, 3,600 bucks to start up for two dozen decoys just Jeez. to get a couple King Eider decoys. And shipping out Zodiacs, and boats and vehicles and leasing property. And I mean, you know, it, it's a big deal. You know, it's all, it's all good now. You know, we, from there, it's just expanded. You know, we went down into the Aleutian Islands in ADAC. I've hunted ADAC Island. I hunted there for four years, guided. Uh, we lived on Kodiak Island. My daughter's graduated high school. I have uh, two daughters, Stephanie and Samantha. And Stephanie's actually in the business now. She's going to be one of the first female waterfall adventure guides up here in Alaska. She's um, she's finishing up her captain's license this year, and she'll have her time. But, yeah, she's all licensed. She's got all her licenses, and she's doing uh, fishing guiding for me. And um, That's awesome. And uh, the waterfall hunting. So, yeah, it's uh, the next generation is just taking over. Yeah. That's super exciting then. Have, have yeah, no, it's, it's a good time. I mean, she's, she's actually downstairs right now working on some decoys down in the paint shop and um, getting ready for some stuff. And uh, but yeah, we're excited. We're going to go out and do a little shooting this week. And, uh, you know, they just, they have a spring subsistence hunt open up, you know, up here for residents. So, I mean, oh, wow. if you're a rural resident of Alaska, you can actually hunt spring subsistence ducks, just like the natives. You don't have to be a native. You oh, can no easily hunt them, but yeah, but I don't, I don't, we don't go out on them just because it's kind of, I'm kind of a high profile guy and I don't want to stir up the turd, but there's local guys out there banging on them right now. Big full plume, beautiful pintails and widgeon and yeah, you know, 
rant, but I just go out and take pictures of mostly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. That, that's a cool way to do it. I mean, have a spring hunt for the rural guys. I mean, up there in Alaska. That's kind of a neat way well, to I do mean, things. They're for eat. I mean, they're made to eat. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, you know, I just, you know, some of the stuff gets, like I said, it's just, it's kind of a, it's a touchy subject with guys down in the States and it, it is, yeah. it, it is even with me. I mean, I used to just go out with some of the local guys and I'd work my dog. You know, it was just a good time to work the dogs in the spring Yeah, because most of the guys didn't have dogs. So they'd go out, shoot a few birds and, you know, I just let the dogs work. And, um, but yeah, you know, anyway. Oh, I can. Yeah. yeah. Not, you know, and then we, uh, you know, we're down here in Cole Bay, which is the Brant and Emperor goose capital. And I, you know, this is just, this is a, a good time down here. You know, they opened up the Emperor goose hunting again, uh, three years ago. This will actually be the fourth year. It was closed since 1986. Oh, wow. Um, you know, due to the population decline. So yeah, we're, we're doing that limited uh, trophy Emperor goose hunt. And that's, that's a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, unfortunately they're only given 25 non-resident permits a year. We were hoping they were going to give some more, but uh, the way the populations are, they're just, uh, they're, they're, they've dug their heels in and they just, they, they don't want to give out anymore. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. We talked about <coughs> hunting a little bit on what it's like, and I want to hear more about it. Like what's, what does that environment look like and everything? Well, around? you know, actually it's a, it's a, you know, the, the emperor goose hunting is, uh, I mean, it's like any other goose except they're more of a land-based goose, you know, these, uh, the emperors, I mean, they'll, they'll, um, you know, they'll hang out all at night, you know, out of these little sandbars and, um, you know, and raft up on the water. But during the day they're on the beaches feeding the, the locals call them beach geese because mm. they're pretty much just picking through the eelgrass and picking for the little shells and the little, uh, crustaceans and the little snails and you know, all that stuff. Yeah, that they feed on and, and they, you know, they eat a lot of grass, just like the brand, you know, some of the sea cabbages and the eelgrass washed up. And I mean, you basically just, you know, setting up like you would any other goose hunt. You know, we're using um, some silhouettes. We're using shells. We're using floaters, kind of a combination. I'm a I'm a big fan of <clears throat> all three, you know, using floaters in the water, to, you know, for the visibility, then putting some shells up and putting some, uh, you know, uh, silos up. Yeah. Just, you know, it seems to work, you know, every, every, you know, opportunity is a little bit different, but uh, that's kind of what we do. And we use layout boats too. If the birds are, you know, the wind's wrong or they're, they're getting a little spooky or something, they just don't want to, you know, once in a while, they, they don't want to cooperate quite right now. We'll just use layout boats. I'm a, I'm a real big layout boat guy. I've got two of the four sound X2, two men. Then we have one uh, UFO single, you know, that we use. So that's, oh, wow. That's one of the funnest things. You know, a lot of the guys down in the States, you're not even allowed to use layout boats hardly in Minnesota, are you? I mean, there's like some weird laws down there. Yeah, they have like, they're looking into it this year. Um, there's a bunch of new laws that they're trying to um, make happen for hunters. And one of them is using layout <laughs> boats. But like, there's only, I think there's only like two lakes in Minnesota that you can actually use layout boats on. and Right. I'm not even for sure on if those are both. I want to say one's like on the river. So it's like in between Minnesota and Wisconsin. So you can like hump that because right. it's like partially in Wisconsin. But yeah, like right. they, they don't allow any layout boat hunting other than that. Um, but they're trying to make that happen this year, which I think would be really neat because I've seen people hunt layouts and I'm like, that's, that's awesome. That looks like a blast. And like, have it out on like Mille Lacs Lake or 
Red Lake or what Leech Lake, mm-hmm. whatever the big lakes are. Um, right. That, like you can go be far enough away from river. I mean, even on the smaller lakes too, I just feel like that'd be a really cool way to do it and just allow more hunting opportunity for people that want to get out. Well, that's, that's it. People don't realize is that when you actually allow the layout boats, it spreads out the hunting pressure. It gets the, the pressure away from, you know, some of the easy, the land spots. I mean, mm-hmm. when you've got a lake or a estuary even here, like an Eisenbeck Lagoon or in Cole Bay, you've only got so many good points. You know, you yeah. have so many little spots that the birds are going to come to. And when you've got local pressure and resident pressure and, on, you know, uh, non-resident pressure, you know, any place that's easy. I mean, let's face it. Hmm. In general, a lot, 95% of the waterfowl hunters are lazy. Yeah. Yeah, there's a they don't want to work. You know, five percent to ten percent of the guys that'll that'll uh, you know grind. They'll get out there and they'll walk. So yeah, all the easy spots you know get <laughs> taken up. And um, anyway, hold on a second. I'm gonna go get a glass of water here. I yeah, my throat's a little dry. Absolutely. Sorry about that yeah no worries yeah no but uh anyway so yeah no it's um a layout boat hunt is actually one of my favorite ways to hunt i mean we and it doesn't matter you know for the the brant for the sea ducks harlequin eiders i mean we we do we hunt pretty much every day we'll hunt layout boats i mean if we can yeah i mean you know the, the geese and the brant will hunt you know shore setups too you know hiding in the grass and you know little uh, uh layout blinds but the but the layout boats are just awesome. Too. I mean, you're literally right in the water. The decoys are around you. And they're coming right in your face. I mean, they come right up the string. They start flaring, and they're literally like 12 feet, 15 feet from you, you know, leg yeah. locked, coming right in. And, you know, they, and all of a sudden you sit up at that layout boat, and they're like, they're so screwed. It's not even funny. <laughs> yeah. No, because, I mean, the ducks feel safe on the water. They're always oh, used yeah. to, I mean, you, you visualize you know, they, they feel safe. They'll go out. They're always like wanting to land a hundred yards offshore Yep. and they feel safe. So, you know, you, you go a hundred yards offshore or a couple hundred yards out and set up a nice floater spread and yeah. you know, do a little flagging to bring them in. And then birds, I mean, they're just not used to seeing, you know, that, that kind of, uh, uh, you know, pressure. Oh, exactly. But yeah. It's, it's a whole different monster, you know, versus hunting in uh, like Salt Lake or, you know, down in the lower 48, when those guys are using their layout boats and four feet of water, because I mean, we'll hunt into 20 to 30 feet of water, with, you know, seven to eight foot tides and 30 yeah. mile an hour winds and ripple current. So yeah, there's a, there's a whole safety factor that you have to deal with, um, you know, a learning curve. I mean, you know, anybody that says they haven't had some snafus or made some stupid mistakes is lying or they haven't hunted very much. Cause I mean, you know, let's face it. I mean, I've almost had some snafus in the past and sinking boats and having, you know, you're out there in the pitch dark at five 30 in the morning and three foot waves trying to put layout boats out in the Gulf of Alaska, you know, in November and pitch black and you you can't really see what the tide's doing and the wind's doing. You just know that it's shitty. And, you know, you start dropping anchors. The next thing you know, lines are getting sucked under the water and layout boats are just about getting flipped. But yeah, you learn. That's why I said, this is not a place that 
You can just take a 18 year old kid and let him loose with a half a dozen of uh, you know Avery uh, floater decoys and go out and kill your birds. Yeah, now, you know you can, but it doesn't always work out so good. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, and I mean like with that's the thing with waterfowl hunting. Like you can always learn something <clears throat> new about them. Like I every, do every day. I, every I have time hunters I go out. and guides. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've had uh, Brandon Miller uh, is uh, he actually was one of my really good guides. He actually started a company called Cold Cold Country Outfitters in North Dakota. Mm. He guided for me for King Eiders and out here in Cold Bay. And I had never, I wasn't much of a goose hunter, you know, but those guys from North Dakota, those guys are killers. Yeah. And he was, you know, from up the Bismarck area. He came up here a few years ago and we started hunting with the, that's who turned me on to dive bomb. I mean, he started he's like, mm. man, Charlie, we got to get some of these silhouettes and stuff to, and, and they'll work for all these birds. It's just, you know, you got to, you know, customize them a little bit or you know get the right setup and, mm-hmm. and he he sent out like 10 dozen of his uh dive bombs from down in north dakota and we started setting them up for brant for geese up here these birds never seen them i mean nobody up here has silhouettes or socks or any of that hardly yeah so the same thing you know you start pioneering it you start bringing this stuff up and now you know everybody up here is like shipping you know uh, floaters or you know the silhouettes and socks up here and they're using them for emperors or using them for brant yeah, those new uh, the black and whites that yeah. the dive bomb came out with. Those things work awesome for everything. I mean, we set them up for straight brant using um, you know floater rigs and um, and setting them up on the beach in the water. And it's just uh, you know it's really it's made a big change in our whole hunting practice. Just you know by advancing, and that's just the last three or four years. You know we we never used them. Yeah, you know, I know that the guys in the states have been using them for years, but we just hadn't quite made it out this far because we never had to. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah, and I mean those black and whites are awesome. Like even for duck hunting and stuff like that. Because I had Forrest Carpenter on on an early episode, and we were kind of discussing on like duck hunting and throwing them out on the banks of the like water hole that you're hunting, and they yeah. the ducks are looking for like that black hole or whatever it is, and so when yeah. they see all that, they're like, "Oh, perfect! Let me just buzz on right over there." And I've never really thought yeah, no, of it it's like definitely. That. It, it, yeah, I mean, and we're hunting on a big lagoon up here. I mean, you know, Eisenbeck Lagoon and the Cold area. I mean, we're hunting on the, you know, 20, 30 mile long uh, bays and beaches. So you got to be able to have some drawing power. Yeah. And the difference of putting, you know, three dozen floater brand out in a, you know, little typical V or a little J hook or something. And then, you know, dropping five dozen silhouettes on the beach for a backdrop. It, it's a game changer. I mean, they're just instead of, you know, singles and small groups coming in, now we've got whole flocks just coming right in and yeah you know we're going to be releasing some uh, video here in the next few days or actually yeah there's going to be some video clips coming out and then you know when dive bomb's going to be uh they shot you know video with us last year when they were up and they're going to be releasing some this summer early on and it's going to be some unbelievable footage to show people what really we have up here because you know people you know they all they think of is oh yeah they shoot a few brand they shoot a few pacific eiders and you can go shoot a harlequin or a king eider but you know, the bottom line is, you know, you can shoot up to 14 species of birds here yeah. in Cold Bay. And I mean, you know, and these are trophy birds, they're not just junk birds. I mean, you know, you're talking everything, you know, <laughs> yeah, oh, right exactly. kind of year. Or, you know, and then the early season, we're pretty pumped that we do a, a what we call a cast and blast. That's the um, where you go salmon fishing, char fishing, mm. uh, Canada goose hunting and black brant hunting. That's in September and October because you know we get the Aleutian cacklers, we get the taverners, ah. 
we get, you know, the Lester, I mean, are you getting, you know, two or three different yeasts plus the brand? You know, a lot of people don't realize we have, there's two different brand up here. You have the Arctic Highs Island brand, which are more the grayish color. And then we have the straight Pacific black brand. So, I mean, there's two different brand species. And, you know, the, the Cold Bay area is known for banding because, you know, the whole population yeah. is here. So, I mean, when you get 150 to 180,000 Pacific black brand in one lagoon for two months, um, <laughs> it's, it's a fun time. And, you know, the, I mean, we average four or five bands a week. Oh, in the, wow. the season. Okay. So, I mean, I'm, yeah, I mean, so, you know, we, it, you, for six or eight weeks, I mean, you know, some weeks you get seven or eight, some weeks you get three or four, but I mean, a, on an average, you know, we're getting four or five bands every week Jeez. for the group. So, I mean, most guys, almost, I'd say 95% of the guys that come up here get at least one band while they're hunting. So that's just fun. You know, it's, yeah. it's not that we're band hunting. It's just, you can't see them when they're coming in. Yeah. It's just, you know, great luck you know 20 brant come in and you know they uh you know not like some of those big candidates that got their feet hanging and you're seeing big bang you know bangles hanging off the bottom mm -hmm. of them brant keep tucked right up right up into the end they just kind of splash down in so you can't really you know pick, pick them out. out yeah yeah because i saw nick post has shot one up there when they were up there with you guys <laughs> yeah nick uh, nick got a nice bandit he got a nice double banded brant uh asher got a real nice uh banded brant oh, yeah. and mike and uh, Cameron, uh, Mike Summers and Cameron, they both got uh, banded Brant, you know, with us that week. So, yeah, everybody, everybody pretty much, but poor Cade. Cade didn't shoot. He was the only one that didn't get a banded uh, Brant that week. But he was filming most of the time. He only yeah. shot a couple birds. Yeah. Yeah. So, but. No, that's but yeah, sweet. That's, you know, so. And the tarsal bands are just so cool. That's, that's definitely one of the coolest. Yeah, bands. no, get, yeah, a bunch of blue and yellow and red tarsal bands. Yeah, we've got them. Are hanging up around here and lanyards all over yeah you know, i don't shoot that many of them just because you know i mean i shot them but you know when you when we're guiding i don't really hunt that much i mean you know hunt yeah. a little bit and if we do shoot you know two or three guys i usually just give the bands to the you know i always do i mean i i literally you know full-time guide in the band capital i don't i've only got a few <laughs> bands myself because i just i'm always guiding i'm not hunting yeah oh exactly yeah you know, know that's i'm not like one of the arkansas guys that's uh <laughs> runs out to the field and like rips the band off oh that's my band you know and hogs it from the client and that's that's one of the things that i just kind of laugh about you know you're going to get some heat you know because not that i'm bashing on some of these guys but uh, yeah i don't know i just the level of uh of guiding it to me personally you know from doing it for so long i see some of these new young guides that are out there and i just cringe a little bit because it's not really about the guiding it's about them yeah and yeah. I mean, I'd rather, I'm, I'm at the point in my life, you know, where I'd rather watch guys, I'd rather teach a hunter and have him have a really good experience. I get more, uh, you know, joy out of watching someone else that's never had the chance hunt and have good hunting than me personally. I mean, it, like I said, every time they're pulling the trigger, I basically have pulled the trigger a hundred times for that same bird. And, you know, I'm yeah. pretty much setting up everything, doing it. And that's what I tell people, you know, is, is you know, all these guys are like, well, I want to become a guide. Well, if you want to become a guide, you're probably not going to hunt that much. Yeah. I mean, you're going to go hunting, but you're going to be guiding. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, we have enough birds that, you know, most, most days when we're brant hunting or goose hunting, our guys are limiting out. So, I mean, if I want to shoot, I can, but it's like, I don't, we have so, I just don't want to deal when you shoot this many birds every day. Like, I don't want to deal with this stuff. I mean, it's just too much. 
many birds, too many <laughs> stuff to have to deal with. And, you know, our, our want and waste rules are a little different up here for our geese and brant. We have to take the wings, we have to take the legs, we have to take all edible meat. So it's not like down in the States where you just rip a breast out yeah. and throw the rest of it away. Or, I mean, here we have to literally dissect the joints, take the legs, take the wings, cut off just like the chicken wings, the leg wing. I mean, you have yeah. to take all edible meat on our geese and brant. So it's a little more, when you're sitting out in the shop, I mean, when Asher and Cade and Nick and them guys were up here, they're thinking, oh, well, the first day they're like, oh, we'll go out and help you, you know, clean birds. We got out there. We're like, oh, okay, great. And uh, we start, you know, breaking the pruning shears off. We got to start cutting off the wings and, you know, jointing them out at all the joints and cutting their legs off. And they're like, what the hell is all this? I said, this is what we have to do because there's no, you know, waste up here. It's you yeah. know, all edible meat, even, you know, from the wings, the legs, the breast. I mean, so yeah, it's a, it's a little more than a pain in the ass and just ripping a breast out. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So when you get that, you know, you get, get a group of that many guys hunting. I mean, you got to get pretty creative with brat and geese. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can imagine. Oh, so, yeah. But, no. Yeah. We got a couple of good barbecue recipes out there. But anyway, I'll, I'm going to give all your guys, whoever's listening to you, you guys are looking what to do with some Canada geese. I'm going to tell you a great recipe. And again, Brandon Miller from North Dakota gave me this from Coal Country Outfitters. Take your brant or your uh, your geese breasts. Yeah. Put them in a crock pot. All the meat. Basically, take all the meat, put it in a crock pot. You put a pot of coffee, and you let it cook for 24 hours on low. And the <laughs> acid in the uh, coffee breaks it down. After 24 hours, you drain the coffee out, rinse it off put the meat back in the crock pot, put a stick of butter, uh, an onion, and a thing of barbecue sauce, and let it cook for another eight hours. And it comes right apart. It's just like a, a pulled pork sandwich. This stuff is unbelievable. I, I couldn't believe it, but it's one of the greatest recipes for uh, to deal with, uh, you know, geese or ducks. We do it for everything. Yeah. Make like barbecue sandwiches. Huh. That, that That's your tip for the good. day. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I thought it was full of shit. I don't really like coffee. Yeah. And I saw him dumping coffee in the crock pot and thinking, what is this horse shit about? I'm thinking, is he jerking me around here or what? And, you know, because I mean, you know, he made a cup pot of coffee and filled up the crock pot, you know, the big crock pot with coffee and then dumped all this goose and uh, duck breast in there. And the next day, you know, drained it off, rinsed it, put it back in, sliced up an onion, threw in some barbecue sauce and a stick of butter. And six hours later, that stuff was like some of the best. You know, it was just like a, a barbecue beef sandwich. It was yeah. great. Yeah. So oh, I can imagine. I it worked. I'm definitely going to have to try that then. Now, I, you know, now you know a new goose recipe. Yeah. Because, I mean, all my duck and goose, I just turn into, like, beef sticks and all that kind of stuff. Hot dogs. Yeah, but you, right. Right. But when you start talking having six hunters shooting 30 or 40 birds a day, how much <laughs> beef stick can you make? <laughs> Yeah, that's, oh, yeah, so that's I'm, making, I'm, I, I'm making goose barbecue and giving it to all the local people here. And I've got friends that will come over, you know, and it's like, hey, we're going to come over for some barbecue sandwiches. But anyway, you know, it all works. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I love coffee. So that'd be a perfect, perfect scenario for me. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to hear about that King Eider hunting out on St. Paul. That's got to be. Incredible. Well, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's been voted the world's most extreme duck hunt. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it is straight up. I mean, the weather's brutal. The conditions are tough. We're hunting in big waves, big water. 
Um, you know, it's not traditional duck hunting in any means, and it's not like the traditional sea duck hunting in Maine or, you know, in uh, Rhode Island or Massachusetts where the guys are anchoring up their boats. We never anchor out there. We drift because oh, wow. the waves are too big and the tides are too big. So, you know, on average, we're in, we're, we're in anywhere from six to 12-foot ocean waves when we hunt out there. So it's yeah. pretty big. I mean, you know, you're in a 17-foot Banks boat or a 16-foot Zodiac, and you're in 12 to 14-foot waves, you know, the big ocean swells, you're just rolling up and down. You can't anchor because, I mean, I, when I was younger, I, you know, I, I was watching those guys from the East Coast hunting. They're anchoring their boats and putting these beautiful strings of decoys out. I mean, I'm like really traditional. I'm like, man, I want to do that. Yeah. And I anchored up my boat one day and the tide switched. Next thing I know, the, the tide's ripping by in these big waves. And I lost like two strings of decoys. They just sucked underwater, gone. I mean, like $3,000 worth of custom King Eider decoys, gone. Oof. Never to be seen again. Then, you know, like three weeks later, the local native kids are finding them on the beach, washed up where they were ripped off the lines, taking them home for decorations. And they're selling them back to me for like a hundred bucks a piece. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, you learn very quickly. There's some things you just do and some things you don't do. Yeah. But, you know, out there, it's pretty much you just, you're just drifting with decoy lines out, you know, attached to the boat. Once in a while, we'll still put strings out, you know, and just let them float on nice days. Or if we're harlequin hunting, you know, you can hunt or old squall where you're hunting in shallow water and, and close to shore. You'll put, you know, traditional, you know, string of harlequin or long tails out. Yeah. And then, you know, just kind of drift or anchor the boat. But, uh, Generally, most of that is just kind of like a free drift, you know, and trying not to tangle up your lines and, you know, uh, you know, kind of just make a big J hook, put out 60, 70 yards of decoy line with, and pack it with 20 or 30 decoys and kind of turn it, make a big J on the, the line in your boat, shut the engines off and just drift. Yeah. And as the birds are, you know, coming by, they're hopefully summer landing, you know, and in reality, a lot of the juveniles and the hens will work the decoys real good and, you know, the drakes will follow. but it's not a, it's not as big a decoy bird as that I wish, but it's just, you know, part of it is you're not set up to decoy them. Right. You know I mean? You're yeah. hard to hunt open giant, open ocean, open waves. Yeah. And I heard that because the bird that like some days you can't, I mean, you can't even hunt up there cause it's so wild. Like, the, yeah, I know it is. I mean, you're realistically, there's going to be one or two days a week out of the trip that, um, you know, you, you get these little storms that come through and the waves are just like 15 to 20 foot and Jeez. they're just too big. I mean, it's just scary. And, you know, and that's the other thing that a lot of people don't realize. Is, you know, they're like, oh, I'd never pay that much money to go duck hunting. I said, well, you know, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, it's an expensive place. It's, you know, yeah. stuff you're, you're pay it. And, and it doesn't matter whether you're going King Eider hunting or you're going up to Canada, or you're going whatever. There's, you know, time to me is the most valuable thing. I don't, you know, yeah, I don't have a lot of time free and a lot of people this day and age, everybody's working and, you know, they got wives or girlfriends and kids or they're going to college or whatever. And time is the most valuable thing to me. So when I look at if, you know, like if, if I, for instance, like when I go down to the States or I go overseas, I mean, I've hunted in five or six different countries and, and Russia and oh, wow. Australia, New Zealand, South America, you know, yeah. Could I, could I fight my way through it and probably shoot a few birds? Sure. But why would I spend that much money, that much time to go somewhere, yeah. not pay a professional to do, to help me and at least give me every offer. I want to put every advantage 
in my, you know, it's like playing poker. Yeah. You know, why would you play poker if you don't have an advantage? I mean, you know, don't give the house the advantage. You want the advantage. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to do everything I can, no matter whether I'm fishing or hunting, um, to, uh, you know, hire a local guy and have him help me and, you know, put me in the right area and make sure the right ducks. And like you said, you learn and, and, you know, write it off as education, you know, hire a guide, you know, yeah, there's a few dirt balls out there that give you a shitty trip and they might just take advantage of you or whatever, but you know what, learn, you can still learn something from them. If not write it off to, you know, Hey, some guys spent more money on a night of drinking and partying than they have (laughs) on a guided duck hunt, you know, fry and wine because they spent $150 had a shitty day at duck hunting. And I'm like, give me a break. You know, stop being a little whiny ass bitch. I, I just, <laughs> I have no use for it. <laughs> oh, exactly. No, I'm with you on that a hundred percent because like, if you're going to go out somewhere. You might as well pay a professional to show you the way. Like you could travel all across the country, bring a decoy trailer, whatnot. And let's say you go to an area where you can't get on anything for permission. Like why would you even go out and try waste all that money and then not even be able to hunt when you can just go with guys right. that are have the leases have everything you need to go out there and set up and then be successful well and that's what i said you know everybody's like oh it, i just i've had a couple of these guys you know these internet warriors like oh I, i'm gonna do my own thing I'm like hey you know what knock yourself out i've done my <laughs> own thing and there's nothing more you know fulfilling than just going out and struggling and finding some hole to set up in and putting your decoys out and killing some birds. But on the same token, you got a $30,000 boat. You got a $10,000 trailer. You got $50,000 worth of decoys. You got all this time and money. It's still, you know, it, duck hunting is like women at all costs. Just some more expensive. You know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, you know, crazy psycho ones or whatever. It's all, everything costs. You know, women, boats, airplanes, that kind of, just a matter of what level you want to take it. That's my motto. Real simple. Oh, absolutely. Keep it simple. Keep it easy. Uh, That's it. You know, you can either pay for it or you can fight your way through it. It's all going to cost you money. Yep. Cost you money and time. Exactly. Like, so, but anyway, you know, that's, I have a real simple motto. You know, I just, uh, I'm a pretty straightforward guy. Anybody that's been with me knows that and, these I, I like to have fun you know they call us the fun guys because if you can't yeah. joke and have some fun you know it's like what's the point yeah. you know it's like man life is way too short to get all serious and yeah that was kind of one of the other things when i was when i was young you know when i first came up here in the in the 80s to alaska there's all these old grumpy ass guides that are like in their 50s and 60s and 70s there's old master guides that are <laughs> been here forever and they're just miserable i mean they hate life they're grumpy yeah they're moping around and they're like rah, rah, you know they want to shoot your head off and, and those are the guys that i had to learn with and they were a pretty hard crowd and i i told myself the first day i showed up this old guy his name's ron hayes he's like one of the top he was like master guide of all i mean polar bear hunting you know i mean traveled oh, up wow. and down the coast i mean did everything in the world but this guy was tough. I mean, he was way old school, you know, like your maybe like your great grandfather or something, you yeah. know, raised in the forties, fifties and sixties and crash in airplanes. And, you know, then you just buy an airplane, you crash, it didn't matter. It was like $10,000. You know, now you crash an airplane. It's a hundred thousand dollars. But yeah, I just told myself, I said, you know what? I hope someone will tell me when I get to that point that I'm just, you know, not having any fun and I'm so miserable and grumpy that someone will say, Charlie, why don't you just quit? But, you know, they, um, 
unfortunately, Alaska, there's a lot of people that they call sourdoughs. And, um, you know, the sourdough, you know, the definition is you're sour on Alaska, but you don't have enough dough to leave. <laughs> so, you know, you're pretty much just some broke ass, whatever. Been yeah. up here having fun, but, you know, you're just mad at the world. And it's like, well, you had fun, but now you don't have any money or you don't have this or you don't have that. So you're just sour at the world, grumpy and mad. And I just, I promised myself that I was never going to be that way to my clients or my guests or my friends. And yeah, no, I can be a little firm, but I'm not, uh, I'm not, I can promise you, you're going to have fun if you come hunting with us and we're going to laugh and tell jokes. And and that's what it's about. If you can't, you know, if you don't have a sense of humor and you can't take your balls being busted, you probably better stay home. (laughs) You probably won't like me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the big thing. I mean, with every outfitter is, I mean, creating an experience that people want to be around. And I mean, you have guides all over the country that are just think they need to be so serious and can't have some fun and whatever that is. And it's just like, if I'm going to go out with somebody, I want to be like having a good time, bullshitting around, whatever that is. That's the biggest thing for me. Yeah, no, I, I get it. And that's, that's where I, that's why I said, I mean, I've had some really good guides that have worked for me over the years, you know, being in business for 35 years, I've been very fortunate that a lot of the guys have been with me for a long time, you know, Justin and Jack and these guys. And I've had some, I've had you know, some of the best guides in the industry that worked for me, but unfortunately when, you know, uh, personalities don't always mix, you know, and some yeah. guys, you know, have a, when you put three or four type A personalities in a room or in a blind together, unfortunately, you know, there has to be one boss. There has yeah. to be one guy in charge and some people's ego can't take it. And, um, you know, but what are you going to do? You just, you know, you do what you can do and have fun and, you know, don't take it too serious. And if, if guys want to get themselves all worked up over everything, yelling at clients, cause I'm not a big, I, I just, I won't tolerate guys disrespecting clients. Yeah. I mean, you can have fun with them and joke and bust their balls a little bit, but to outright, you know, yell and be nasty and um, disrespect them and, you know, humiliate them. No, that's not going to fly with me. It just doesn't. And, um, yeah, you know, I've seen some guys in the industry that, uh, you know, they're, they still put their pants on just like everybody else. And I've had the opportunity to hunt with the biggest names in the industry, the biggest photographers, the biggest TV shows. And, um, you know, the who's who in the waterfall world. And most of them are really good guys. There's a few that are a bunch of pompous, arrogant guys that, yeah. uh, you know, I'm never going to spend any time with again, but overall, you know, most of the guys in the industry are really good and, and they like to have fun and hope they learn, you know, something from me when they come up, because I sure could learn something from them. And if, if they don't take anything back, it's just, there's no sense of not, you know, life is just way too short not to have a little bit of fun yeah. and enjoy it. That it just, you know, taking it so serious. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. And then you made a great point <clears throat> on learning from other people. I mean, Everywhere that I've gone, um, traveled around and hunted with people, it's like I'm always learning something new from them, like a different point of view or like, I mean, I was talking to, yeah, I was talking to Toby when we were down in Texas and talking about like a certain law that they had that they were thinking about changing in Minnesota and just, he opened my eyes on like a different point of view that maybe I never thought about. And I was like, hmm, that's a good point. Like. I never thought about it that way, but it's a good view from another person to like open my mind on that right. topic. 
Yeah, I, I want to go down and hunt with those guys. They, they, they look like they have fun and have a pretty cool gig going on down there. Yeah. You guys from Cadillac. Oh, they're, they're an absolute blast. They invited me down there last February and, uh, or like this past February. And he was like, yeah, like, honestly, the birds are like pretty tough right now. Um, like, let's just reschedule. You can come back down like next year. I'm like, ah, honestly, I just want to like hang out with you guys, bullshit around. And then like we shoot some birds, like great. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a time and a half. I mean, we, we beat them up pretty good the last like two or three days that I was there. The first two were pretty tough. And then the last couple of days was just awesome. And they're such great dudes. Is he, is he coming to the squad fest? You know? Yeah, he'll be there. Yeah. Oh, good. I gotta, I gotta bullshit with him. I gotta get him up here to go hunt with us. Yeah. We have fun. You know, we, we can have a good time up here too. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's, he's an awesome dude. Super, super funny. And just like, yeah, he's just great. That, that entire group is really, really fun group to hunt with and just bullshit around with. Right. Like, yeah. So that's been like the fun thing that I've been able to witness is just the fun people in the industry, hang out with them, get right. to meet and, them and know them. And you know, one of the, the big things that I, that I really support in the whole industry is uh, being able to give back to the community. We do a yeah. lot with the veterans and the law enforcement and fallen outdoors groups. And yeah. I mean, we do a lot. I've got, um, You've got a, the hometown heroes. You've probably heard of those guys in Minnesota and yep. Wisconsin. We've got a big group of them coming up where we donated trips to that one um, uh, injured uh, police officer that got shot down there in, uh, in Minnesota. And he, yep. they're, they're bringing a whole group up King Eider hunt with us this year. His whole, you know, he got shot, he's disabled, but he's been, you know, recovering. And yeah. um, we invited him up because his whole goal, he wanted to go on a King Eider hunt, but you know, after, you know, being disabled and get hurt and, you know, losing your job and, and being home, you know, probably it would have been hard for him to do it without some help. And yeah, they reached out to us. And uh, so, yeah, we've got the, the hometown heroes are coming up to hunt with us in uh, St. Paul this winter. And hopefully we're going to get uh, him a really nice King Eider to go, you know, with, with those guys. But yeah. We, that's awesome. Uh, that's, that's what I encourage people. It matters how much, you know, give back to the community. I mean, yeah, you know, we just, you can't give a little bit back what's the point you know don't i don't know that's what bothers me i just see some people hate being negative because I'm, I'm a positive guy but it just it bums me out a little bit when some people are so um they're so you know it's all about I, me 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 and yeah never give back it's like it's just about their wallet you yeah. know it's like well i you know i'm not going to give nothing i'm not going to do nothing well you know what i believe that you're gonna good deeds will come back if you yeah. do good things will come back and i you know, uh, just good who karma. else would have thought? You know, karma, exactly. You know, some 19-year-old kid from upstate New York that showed up to Alaska with $300 in his pocket is running, you know, one of the most successful waterfowl and fishing operations in the state of Alaska. And I did it, you know, pretty much from just building it up from hard work yeah, and uh, positive karma. And, yeah. you know, that, that's what I said. I mean, I, we just do what we do and keep good people around us. And, um, you know, get rid of the shit birds and that's our deal. You know, have fun and yeah. do a good job and try to, you know, show people a quality experience. And it's not, it's not just about killing. That's what I would hope. You know, I see some of this stuff. It's all about piles and piles and piles. I mean, I've had some of my best days where we killed one bird or two birds or three birds, like on those emperor goose hunts. Yeah. 
And I've had guys that waited for 25 years. This was like their goal. They wanted, you know, ever since they were young, they saw these emperor geese and, you know, they knew it was open pre-1986, the same with the Stellar's Eiders and the Spectacle Eiders. And they finally, they opened up the emperor, you know, and I've got collectors and hunters that have, you know, traveled the world and they, you know, they're like, Charlie, this is the only goose that I haven't shot in the whole world. And they come up and we're sitting there on a beach you know, on the first day. And it's like, it's like a 15 year old kid with buck fever. I mean, they're shaking, they're vibrating because these geese are coming and they just want one so bad and they're bound up. And you know, the last thing you want to do is shoot into a group of them and, you know, kill two or three. Yeah. You know, we just, we're not going to let that happen. So, I mean, it's, it's like when you say you got a guy, I mean, you literally have to pick one bird exactly got to get, get them, you know, separated from the group. And I mean, it's a, yeah, it's not for the weak at heart. Yeah. And, um, and then when a guy gets one of those birds, you know, he's waited, you know, for 25 years to shoot. And, um, you know, and it, it's just neat because it doesn't matter how much money you have or who you are or where you live. Um, you can't just come, to, you know, you got to draw a permit. Yeah. So I've got, you know, guys that are Joe the plumber and I've got guys that are the, you know, the Rockefellers that, you know, from all ends of life that come out here, they're hunting and camp together, you know, whether you make $15 an hour or you make $2,000 an hour. We're all hunting and killing kings or killing brand and doing stuff. And, you know, everybody's the same. You know, we don't yeah. uh, we don't discriminate against anybody. We everybody's the same in our book. Black, white, yellow, green, red. I don't care what nationality, what, you know, religion you are. It doesn't matter. Just, you know, we do our thing and we're very pro-America and yeah. uh, pro-gun, and pro-Christian. And but, you know, you show us respect and we show you respect. Yeah. Like the, the world. Will, um. You know, if everybody would just get off their high horse a little bit, uh, I think we'd all be a lot better off. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. Instead, you know, the, it's just, it's kind of a shame. I don't want to go off on a political rant, but it just seems like some of these far left people, they're just trying to rip the country apart. Oh, my God. Yeah. Put a, you know, put, put a line in the sand with, you know, whites against blacks and Hispanics against Chinese and Asians and whites. And it's just, I don't know, I just don't see it. I mean, maybe because, you know, we're living up here in a little town of Coal Bay where there's only 50 people that live here. I mean, literally, there's 50 people that live in this town. Yeah. And we've got natives, we've got Samoans, we've got half whites, half black, half, you know, whatever, Filipinos. Everybody just lives and, you know, coexists and nobody, we just don't have all the craziness. So I don't know. Every time I get down to the States and I see some of this stuff, it drives me crazy. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, living in Minnesota this past year has been like insane. Oh, I was watching, I see that stuff on the news and I'm just like, what is going on down there? And then, you know, you, Portland and all this craziness, yeah. I just don't get it. I, I just, they're just these Marxists and these anti american I just, it, it just drives me crazy. And I just, that's why I just have to stay away from it and stay out of it because it, but it's unfortunately, I mean, you got to stick up for your rights and you got to say what's right, because if you don't, we're not going to have any in a few more years. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And I was talking to like, even for just the hunter's sake, um, they're like in Connecticut. I don't know if you saw this, but like if you shoot an elephant or something in Africa and it's totally legal, um, you have your permits and everything and you transfer back to Connecticut with it like mounted, um, then it's like a felony charge they're trying to push through. And it's like, what? Like you did everything you needed to do, and then they're going to try to give you a felony because you shot an elephant or what? Whatever animal that was that you shot, they're going to try to give you a felony right. for, and that just like adds on 
if they can do that, then they're going to try to do the next thing. And then they're going to try to do the oh, next yeah, thing. Oh, no, yeah, it's crazy. I, you know, and I, I will say I've, I've hunted in Africa and I, you know, it's, there's hunting and there's killing. I mean, I yeah. loved hunting in Africa. It was really fun. Um, and I will say that there was nothing got wasted. I mean, we actually fed the villages and fed the local people. I mean, so, yeah, you know, and, and so it was a, it was a really cool experience, but you know, unfortunately, yeah, there's some people with the trophy hunting. I mean, I, I'm in the same way. I mean, I, I was on the PETA top 10 hate list for years. They hated me <laughs> because of us killing King Ivers. Oh, and, no you know, kidding. because I mean, let's face it. Yeah. Well, well, they're, they're a trophy. They're a beautiful bird. I mean, yeah. you know, they look, you know, kind of, you know, they're just a really beautiful bird and, you know, they live out in the Bering Sea all by themselves, a little majestic world. And yeah, all of a sudden we show up on St. Paul Island and the whole, the migration comes through St. Paul Island and, December and January, and we start shooting them, and I start posting pictures of these piles of king eiders. And next thing you know, some anti, you know, they get on my, you know, I mean, they were bombarding me. I mean, you know, a hate list and calling us, sending us letters that they're going to, you know, burn my house down and they're going to murder my family and rape my daughter. I mean, this stuff was bad. I mean, it's these 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 people are just straight nut jobs and. You know, it's not always a joke. I mean, I was getting, we were getting death threats. And I mean, people that were, you know, against my family and my children and, um, oh my yeah, God. you know, it's a, it's a crazy thing. And, you know, it, it's kind of died down, but I just, you know, me, I mean, I'm, anybody that knows me knows that I don't really care. I just pretty much, you know, blow up the internet, and throw our stuff and put our social media out. And, yeah. I mean, we're going to do what we're going to do. And at this point in my life, after 35 years, I'm probably not going to change. Yeah. So either you like me or you hate me and it doesn't really matter to me. I'm still in business every day. I'm still guide. We're still full. And you know, the guys that come up and have a good time with us, have a good time. The guys that go with brand X, Hey, go with brand X and do what you're going to do. I don't care. You know, yeah. it makes no difference to me. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's a, that's a, wow. That's intense. Peter. I mean, those type of people are just insane as well though. Like they freak out over everything and anything but it's all the same group it's this left yeah. Marxist, it's, yeah, it socialist group that that hates america they all hate they hate america they don't yeah. I, and i don't get it because you know I, i've traveled around the country i've traveled you know I, i've been in uh, 14 different countries hunting and fishing and everybody in every other country they all want to come to america yeah every every place i go in south america in africa in europe they all want to come to America. And then these people in America are standing here saying how terrible it is and how racist it is and, and how you know, miserable it is. And I just, I shake my head and I'm like, man, you people are living in some, you know, deja vu world that, you know, the twilight zone from the nineties that you're, you living in your own fantasy world in your basement or in some, uh, you know, Marxist academia world that people are pumping your brain full of bullshit. Yeah. You know, get out of your little comfort zone and come out and see the real world when, oh, exactly. when, where the world does exist. And you're not, you know, living in Portland, Oregon, or, you know, downtown Minneapolis, or, you know, where there's just all this ugliness going on every day. Yeah. No, it's terrible. Like with, I could see Minneapolis being the next Detroit in a couple of years. I mean, it starts off the same way Detroit did the race riots and all that kind of stuff. And then, I mean, their defunding of the police is a terrible thing. And I mean, you have less cops and then you have more shootings. And then I have a buddy over at school over at the U and here's some shooting one night. 
looks out the window and there's a dead dude laying on the sidewalk. Like, and nobody said anything about it. Like, it was insane. That's the part that really upsets me is nobody, you know, I see this stuff on TV where 10 bystanders will sit around and watch somebody getting beat up or mugged or doing something and nobody will stand up and do nothing. I can tell you, yeah, that's why I have to stay away from that stupidness because unfortunately I have the DNA that I am going to get involved. And if I saw something going on where whether you're, you know, some Asian or Hispanic or Jewish person or black or white, it doesn't matter. Someone's getting beat up or roughed up or some girls getting slapped around and the cops yeah. are getting mugged. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to jump right in the middle of the fracas and, um, and I'm going to help out. And unfortunately it probably doesn't always end up too good now, especially this day and age. Now you get arrested yeah, trying to oh, help out exactly. the criminals get set free. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a crazy time. That's why I like to stay out of the city. I just stay over in Southwest Minnesota and that's where I like to hang out. That, that whole city scene is just not for me. I just can't do yeah, it. Yeah. But you know, getting back to the hunting, you know, it's, um, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the- like my religion. That's for your peaceful place. You go out in the woods or out in the lake or out on a river somewhere and you just hunt and you're all by yourself and you're kind of in charge and yeah. you know, put your decoys out and do a little call in and, um, you know, shoot a few birds. And you know, that's what I said. It's, uh, you know, it's hunting is what you make it. You yeah. know, if you want to make it some miserable um, experience, it's probably going to be a miserable experience. If you want to make it fun and, and enjoy it and just go out and, you know, I mean, there's days out here if I, you know, it's rare, but if I get a day off or we have a cancellation or something, um, I mean, I'll just jump in my boat, drive down the beach, go set up decoys. I don't even bring a gun and I'll just sit in the decoys with a camera and take pictures and video yeah. of the birds working and just enjoying what there is because it's like, you know, what I don't have to kill just to kill anymore. Yeah. You know, that's the difference. I hunt because I truly love to hunt and I love the experience. I don't hunt to kill. Yeah. But, you know, that's me. Oh, absolutely. There's, and, there's different levels of hunting and everybody, you know, kind of progresses through them. You know, I mean, uh, unfortunately, I've, or fortunately, I've, you know, seen and witnessed the best hunting and fishing there is in the world pretty much here in Alaska with, you know, the numbers of birds and yeah. having, you know, overall stupid birds because they're, you know, the first, you know, we're up here and there's hardly any pressure. Yeah. Where, yeah. you know, down in the States, I mean, I was, those snow goose that's a whole different monster those things man they were like holy shit they don't like the decoy they just circle around and got five thousand eyes watching you and you're like mm-hmm. man this would uh, this could uh, this could become an obsession to hate these things <laughs> yeah oh exactly and that's that's partially why like i swear all my buddies that still are chasing them around they're just like i can't do it anymore because or like i keep doing it because i hate them so much like and Trevor Bennett, who I had on earlier, he's, he, we talked about it and Slade Northwest did a film, 45 Seconds for Glory. He's like, yeah, I just keep doing it because I hate them so much. Like, I, I can't do anything else. And I'm like, yeah, it seems about right. <laughs> like, even when I go out, it's like, I, I just love shooting them in the face because they're so evil. The white devils. All right. Well, uh, and that's what I... Everybody kind of has their their nemesis, and my nemesis is the Pacific Eider, not the King Eider. The King Eiders, I mean, I love the King Eiders, and we respect them. You know, yeah. you can shoot four a year. Yeah. But the Pacific Eiders, now that's a different monster because there's so few of them, and you know the numbers are down and they're so spread out that I mean, I've just I've spent literally 
hundreds of thousands of dollars chasing them up and down the Aleutians, Coal Bay, Adak, St. Paul, Paul's Pass, uh, King Cove, Kodiak, trying to find the, the nirvana for Pacific eiders, you know, the, the big Pacific common eiders. Yeah. And, um, you know, and you just go out day after day and, you know, it's just, yeah, it's one of those things that it's, it's the hardest, the, the toughest bird. I mean, they're big. They're like a tank. I mean, you know, they're just a big bird. They're, they're hard to kill. And they live in the harshest, shittiest weather there is. And they live out in the middle of the ocean. They don't come to shore. I mean, they're not like a harlequin where you can set up in the rocks and shoot them. You got to go out and sit in the middle of the water in shitty weather and, you know, fight giant waves, have water in your face. And hopefully you get, you know, a couple groups will come by, come into the decoys or swing by and you get a few shots every day and shoot a few of them. So, yeah, that everybody, you know, kind of has their uh, kryptonite in the closet, the, the Pacific Eiders. That's, that's the ones that I just, I hate them because they they embarrass you. They aggravate you. You go out there three days in a row and everybody shoots nice birds. You go out there the next day in the same area and birds just sit, they fly over. They won't land. They won't do nothing. They just aggravate the shit out of you guys and come up 4,000 miles to shoot a duck. They just, you know, they want a specific, you know, they just want to shoot a Pacific eider, yeah. add to their, you know, collection. And it's like some guy, you know, it's just one of those deals. It's not a guarantee. And it doesn't matter how hard you hunt or how good of equipment you have. It just, everybody's not going to get one just the way it is. I mean, yeah. you know, and it's unfortunate, but it's just how it is. Yeah. That's just the way with hunting. I mean, go up there, try your best, but can't guarantee success. I mean, the birds, it's so weird on just how birds will change in such a short amount of time on what they want. Like right. even for big geese, when we hunt them like November, and I mean, if you get a warm spell, like they don't want anything to do with you. Like it's got to be cold and there's got to be snow on the ground and like they just get very tough. And so, yeah, no, I, I get it. I mean, it's the same thing here. You know, cold Bay, there's a reason it's called cold Bay because it's cold and windy and <laughs> shitty and rainy here. That's one of the reasons the waterfowl hunting is so good because like if we get a bluebird day where it goes like straight sun and yeah. no wind, it, it, you might as well, you're just, you might as well just go down to the river and go fishing for the day or go take pictures of whales or something because if you go out there those birds just sit out there and feed all day out in the open lagoon in the shallow water and yeah. have nice days and they don't want to fly they don't want to do nothing and yeah you know we you have a few days where you get a few but generally you know those really nice days thank god we don't get too many of them up here so <laughs> it, it all works out <laughs> yeah yeah no i i'm with you on that they just why would they want to move? They just don't, they don't need to sit out in the right. warm water or warmness and eat what they need to do and kind of all that stuff. That's the same way with our geese. I mean, they'll just sit in the roost, lake roost all day. They'll just sit in the ice, go feed a little bit. All they have to do is eat six kernels of corn and they can jump 10 minutes before shooting light ends and go eat those six kernels of corn and then fly back to the roost. And exactly. That's, yeah. No, I get it. That's one of the frustrating things for us is like, yeah. Was, but yeah, you know, the, the, the one question that I get asked a lot is everybody asks me, they get confused with the seasons up here, you know, because it's a long season. And we start. Yeah. How I just long want to clarify it, everybody. Everybody's always asking. Me. So basically, there's the, the fishing season all summer. Yeah. And then September 1st 
the waterfowl season opens up here in, uh, in Unit 9. So we hunt Unit 9 and Unit 10. Unit 9 is the Alaska Peninsula up to the Aleutian Islands. Unit 10 is the Aleutian Islands and the Pribilof Islands. So Unit 9 is open from September 1st to December 16th. Mm. Unit 10 is open um, from October 1st to January 22nd. So oh, wow. basically the brant, the geese, and the puddle ducks, we hunt September and October. And then the trophy sea ducks start you know, migrating in um, the end of October and then all of November and December where you're getting the harlequin, the scoters, the uh, old squaws, the Pacific eiders, red-breasted bagansers. Um, we still get brant. We, you know, the geese pretty much leave by the third week in October, so we don't get any more of the geese up here. Mm. Um, but the brant, you know, with the weather changing and, you know, all, all this going on, and we actually get the Pacific brant are, you know, wintering over up here. We get thirty to 50,000 brant that never leave Cole Bay now. They're here all year. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, it's the craziest thing. When, you know, 20 years ago, we were hunting up here, and it, like the middle of October, the first time you got a good north wind where it blew, you know, straight out of the north for, you know, 20 to 30 miles an hour, 150,000 brant would, uh, you know, circle up and they'd take off south and, you know, head to, uh, to Washington and California, then head down to the Baja. Yeah. But uh, a lot of the birds aren't leaving because, you know, the, the, we don't, we're not getting that real cold weather that we used to get. So it's kind of nice when you can come up here trophy sea duck hunting in November and December and still shoot a limit of brant. Yeah, no kidding. You know, along with your trophy sea duck. So, yeah, we have the a brant hunt pretty much all the way, you know, from September 1st all the way to uh, December 16th when it closes. And then the trophy sea duck, you know, end of October, November, December. And then, you know, we go to we go to St. Paul Island for the King Eiders right after Christmas. Our first hunters show up. Uh, we actually spend Christmas on St. Paul Island mm. because our hunters show up the 26th, the day after. And, uh, Know, we're there for the whole month of uh january hunting king eiders and then you know we're pretty much done so i mean we have a long season you know when you start september 1st and go to the end of january i mean that's a long hunting season and then so when you throw in a another three and a half months of fishing in the summer i mean we're you know from basically july 1st to december january 22nd it's a grind i mean you know six seven eight months of grinding hard you know pretty much every day yeah and that's what most people aren't used to you know they get a couple months season or six weeks they have these splits where everything's shut down for a week here i don't never really understood all that but on the east coast and down in the states they have all these weird openings and closures and kind of blessed that we don't have that they just open it and let it go yeah yeah and um i wanted to ask you about uh i saw on your website you had the how to kill a king with uh um tony yeah but and tony vandemore how was that that was a great, that was a really good experience. I mean, we've done a couple of shows. Um, you know, Tony is, is a great hunter and uh, a good conservationist. And I, you know, he's the same way. I mean, you know, when you're at the top of your game, there's people that, uh, that there's always going to be haters, you know, and yeah. people are jealous. You know, Tony works hard and he does a great job. And all I can tell you is that uh, he 100% has showed me the respect and I showed him the respect. And I know he does a good job and he runs a great operation. and um, but you know, we had fun. I mean, he told me, I mean, the first day we were out in the boat, he looked at me and he said, Charlie, I am so far out of my wheelhouse out here, sitting in the bearing sea <laughs> with you bouncing around. Cause I, you know, just, you know, it was just one of those things. He's like, you know, he, he, I, you know, it was kind of humbled and overwhelmed, you know, with what was going on and, you know, but he picked it right up and you know, I showed him and helped me set decoys and he's a hell of a hunter and a good shooter. I mean, he, yeah, he, uh, 
you know, he, he talks to talk and walks to walk and he makes it happen. And that's all I can say. I, I show credit to people and I, you know, Tony's a, a good guy and works really hard. And I, I wish there was uh, more guys in the industry that would hold themselves to that standard. Um, you know, he's had some really good fortunate luck and uh, some good business partners to help him along the way. But, uh, you know, the bottom line is you still got to make it and you got to put the show on every day. Yeah. He's got a good family and, you know, his wife and children, you know, it's like, gosh, it's hard to make it in this industry if you don't have uh, a very supportive wife and uh, family, you know, to be behind you. Yeah. Because unfortunately, it's, there's a high divorce rate in America already. And then when you throw in the guiding aspect of it and the traveling, it uh, it's pretty brutal. Yeah. And, you know, that kudos to my wife. Uh, we just celebrated our 25th anniversary this winter. Oh, nice. My daughter's. Uh, who, you know, been with us and, you know, moved around Alaska, living in these remote areas and fishing and hunting and uh, putting up with their crazy father, you know, doing all this stuff. And uh, that's all I can say is, you know, God bless them all for putting up with my crazy life. Yeah. And what was it like having like the camera team and everything with you guys and like filming? All well, that? that was a big production. I, you know, a lot of people don't realize that uh, that was supposed to, uh, Benelli was actually going to shoot a, a complete TV series. We were supposed to do like a six or eight part series. Oh, wow. Of about, you know, the whole thing. And then, you know, for whatever reason, the, you know, corporate people decided that they were just going to, you know, end up making it a, a two hour uh, Benelli SB3 infomercial. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's what it, and, but it was, you know, they, they, it was great footage. I mean, we had, a, it was a big crew of the guys that were there, sub seven productions and Lee Chodes and um, yeah. guys from uh, Rock House Motion. They were all there. I mean, there was a, had like eight people on the production crew. I mean, they had two drone guys that set, you know, they had the, the, the still photography guys, the camera guys. I mean, it was a big crew. I mean, it was, um, I mean, I think, all the, I think we had like 10 or 11 people, 12 people all together. And oh, wow. you know, the only thing that bummed me out a little bit about it was that they actually, all the guys, the guys from Heavy Shot, the guys from Benelli, the guys from Under Armour, they had, you know, big wigs that were there from all the major sponsors that hunted with us too. Yeah. They all went hunting and shot their birds and the camera guys, you know, when they were, weren't filming, they shot their birds. So, you know, you watch the movie and, it, you know, a two hour show and they show maybe like 10 birds or eight birds being killed for yeah. like the whole week. That was not the case. I mean, everybody killed the shit out of their birds that week. Yeah. But they just, you know, collectively chose to, um, you know, to do, to show what they showed. And that, that's fine. I mean, that's their, their deal. And I mean, I respect it. I mean, they wrote the checks and, you know, we got paid and everybody was good. You know, that's what one thing, you know, a lot of people don't realize is, you know, some of these, I get calls every day from some, you know, mom and pops new hunting show or TV show that, you know, wants me to give them, you know, a fifteen or twenty thousand dollar trip to come up here and hunt, and this I just, you know, we just don't normally do that. I mean, we we don't have to. I mean, we're busy, yeah. and I mean, you know, Benelli paid us to come do that. I mean, they paid us a premium to come up here to take our whole. I mean, they booked the whole week with the whole crew, and very professional. And I can't say enough good things about it. You know, the SB three was, uh, you know, we showcased it and we shot it, and we had real good luck with it when it was there. It was a big upgrade from the old Benellis that we did have some issues with. And uh, that's all I can say. Yeah, you know, I I've had with all the different guns. I mean, Benelli's, Berettas, SX4s, Bronchies. You know, I've pretty much uh, you know have, have everything. You know, hunted with them all. And I mean, I've got my own personal favorites. And 
you know, some I hunt with more than others and some, you know, I don't, but you know, they all work. It's just a tool. Yeah. Some don't work as good as others. That's all I can say. Yeah. And with like guns up there and like jamming and everything with all the conditions, how does that, I mean, how do you keep them running well? well or... that, that is a huge issue. I mean, the biggest thing is cleaning the guns and um, some of the guns, you know, this is kind of a controversial subject because, you know, I'm friends with everybody in the industry, the guys from Winchester and the Browning and yeah. um, Beretta and Benelli, you know, overall, some of the guns I, I consider, they're kind of like fine tuned, you know, that uh, some of them are more like a Porsche versus a Ford F-150. Yeah. Some will grind and work through anything. You can stick rusty shells through them. They keep shooting. <laughs> some of them don't like you know, rusty shells. Some of them don't like anything but nice, new, pretty clean shells. And, you know, like I said, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and bash anybody or anything, yeah. but it's, you know, the, the truth is the truth. And all I can say is if, you know, if you come up and hunt with us, then uh, I'll tell you what we use and uh, what we shoot. And, and the same with shells. I mean, you know, the cheapest part of this whole hunt is having good ammunition now. Yeah. And, you know, the old days when, when steel, I mean, I was fortunate that, you know, we started, we were still hunting with lead, you know, in the seventies oh, wow. and eighties. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you younger guys, you don't even know what it was about. So <laughs> we had a hard time transitioning to steel, you know, cause the first steel shot, you know, when it's only, you know, seven or eight grams per cubic centimeter and, and density, it just, the shit was junk. I mean, you know, you, when you were shooting, <laughs> used to shooting a uh, lead, that was 11 grams. Yeah. Now you instantly, you know, you switch back to like seven or six of this, you know, cheap mixed lead in and whatever the hell else was mixed in it yeah the original stuff it was just brutal and then you know the whole the whole ammunition thing is uh changed and migrated and you know upgraded and you know we've been real fortunate again even with for instance like apex ammunition shooting straight tungsten you know apex guys have you know we've done stuff with apex we've done stuff with federal we've done stuff with heavy shots we've done stuff with boss and you know trying to get the best ammunition for our particular circumstances and yeah. you know all I can tell you is that I know what works and what doesn't work is good. Now, yeah, if you're sitting in a pond and you're shooting mallards or wood ducks, anything pretty much works. Yeah. But if you're sitting on the, the Gulf of Alaska or the Bering Sea in 30 mile an hour winds and eight foot waves and you're bouncing around and you're paying $1,000 a day to hunt, why wouldn't you get the best ammunition that yeah. has the best knockdown power that holds patterns the best versus buying, you know, $12 box of shit from Walmart or, you know, Sportsman's Warehouse. I just yeah. don't, it, it totally blows my mind. I have guys still to this day, to book a $5,000 hunt to show up to Alaska with a box of $12 shells, this old straight shitty steel. And they're trying to, you know, it, it's kind of like handicapping yourself, you know, Yeah. at least go with, you know, bismuth or uh, the heavy shot, you know, bismuth tungsten upgrade or, you know, I mean, I, like I said, I, I can tell you hands down, we've done the, the ballistics we've done the shooting and i know you know there there's nothing that will beat straight tungsten straight up i don't care you guys can say what they want i've sat out here we've we've done gel tests we've done you know um uh, you know we've tested them personal we've taken dead birds and we've you know done everything you can do foam decoys and shot to see what what are the most you know accurate and the most um deadly and i mean straight you know when you start talking 18 gram per cubic centimeter, uh, you know, tungsten, like the TSS, that was the original, the real heavy duty stuff that they were shipping in from China. That stuff is deadly. I mean, it's, 
Yeah. You don't need it. That's what they're using for all the turkey loads now. You know, they're shooting turkeys at 60 to 80 yards with this stuff and just knocking the shit out of them, you know, choking them way down with these custom chokes. And, yeah. you know, at 80 yards, you're putting a tight ass pattern out there. So, I mean, it works. But, you know, the same thing with the, the bismuth. I mean, we shoot a lot of bismuth. Uh, we shoot boss. The bismuth is a really good, uh, a good, a good quality ammunition that's, you know, a lot cheaper than straight tungsten. Yeah. Because you don't, you don't always need tungsten. I mean, that's just for kind of like a real specialty thing. You know, the, 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 uh, the bismuth, copper coated bismuth and boss is real good. You no know, federal uh, black cloud is, uh, is good, but you know, it just, it's a, uh, it's a little harsh on our birds for the trophy quality. That's, yeah. that's the only reason I'm not the, it kills the shit out of them, but all the little the jagged edges and the stuff it uh it, it, it rips and kills stuff but it's a little hard on the I'm not yeah oh let me shut this off sorry about that no worries somebody's calling just a client i'll call him back probably my airplane mechanic he's working on getting my airplane uh annualed up right now so oh, absolutely salmon, so yeah but yeah no i hope uh you know it's uh, I hope uh, we had a good conversation and some people yeah. learned some good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you hopping on. That was awesome. We covered a bunch too. I mean, we covered everything about Alaska, really. Like, we didn't hear anything or see us. You know, we're easy to find. We're AlaskaDuckHuntingGuides.com. So, I mean, we're easy to find, and uh, you know, or go to our YouTube channel. We've got over two hundred and fifty videos up on our youtube channel and we're actually putting up a bunch of new stuff uh we're working on it right now and again some really good high quality stuff up that you know the whole industry is changing and we're trying to keep up with the you know the higher quality stuff and and putting some good content out there and and, and we're going to go to more educational stuff i mean i've everybody's seen enough just killing and killing and killing we're going to try to we're actually doing some some shooting stuff some ammunition stuff that's going to be um really uh, no bullshit straight in depth of cut and dry and there's going to be some feelings that get hurt unfortunately in the industry yeah and i don't know what to say you know i mean i'm I, I i love a lot of the guys in the industry and i support them but you know sometimes facts you know don't care about your feelings yeah you know, like i say it's uh facts are facts and you know if uh if certain things don't work for certain conditions i'm not saying that they're bad they're just not necessarily right for the conditions that we're using them for yeah oh absolutely you know, whether it's a gun whether it's a the ammunition, you know, whether it's a clothing uh, or whatever, you know, it's just, uh, just kind of how it is, but yeah. yeah, man, if we can help anybody or you, you want to do something in the future, give us a call and, uh, we'll get back on here and maybe we can, uh, you know, do something, uh, fun and, uh, interesting. Absolutely. Well, Captain Charlie, I appreciate it. And thanks once again. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, man. It was great seeing everybody and, uh, everybody stay safe out there in uh, TV world. Yeah. God bless. Absolutely. I'll catch you later. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. And that wraps things up today for living the guide life. I had an awesome conversation with Captain Charlie. Um, just an unbelievable dude. I can't say good enough things just talking with him on the phone. And he's just really knows what it's about to run a great outfitter. I mean, we talked about the experience side of things on like, People want to come up there and have an experience, and that's a big thing for them. And also the side of, okay, let's get a guide because they know what they're doing, and that's really what he's 
strived on is if you're going to come up there and you're going to spend all that money, you might as well pay somebody that really knows what they're doing and knows the land well. Um, and so it's just really awesome to hear about that and to hear about him and the different ways he hunts up there and kind of all that fun stuff. Um, King Eider hunting, Brant hunting, all the really trophy ducks that they get to hunt up there. And that's another thing that that was really fun to talk about was just talking about not really shooting a bunch of ducks, but really trophy ducks. And that was something I've looked into as a different aspect of after we talked. So that was really awesome. But just wanted to bring this up. Me and Captain Charlie will be down at Squad Fest. So if you guys are around, make sure to come say hello. And I can't wait to see everybody there. It's going to be a super great time. And uh, we're super excited about it. So we'll see you down there. And uh, you guys have a good one.